right, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. As you're turning there, let me ask you to, to imagine something with me. Imagine that you were walking into an interview for a really big job, high-paying job at some super successful company. Um, imagine if in that interview you were asked, what is your greatest characteristic? What if you looked at that interviewer and said that your greatest characteristic was, I am meek? Do you think that that person doing the interview would be very excited? I'm gentle. You know, that person probably was looking more for an answer like, I have integrity, I have a good education, I have a strong work ethic, um, I have good problem-solving skills, a drive, ambition, follow-through, but meekness, meekness. Or, or think about it this way. If we were looking for a great leader, a great politician, someone to lead people, do you think meekness would rank high on that scale of what people are looking for? It might be a lot of those same type things I just mentioned a minute ago. Integrity, drive, ambition, a willingness to do what they say, a concern for other people's needs. But meekness doesn't usually come up too much. You know, the truth is, is that we live in a dog-eat-dog -dog world, right? You may have heard that phrase before. It's the survival of the fittest. Only the strong survive. Uh, and the gentle, the meek, the mild tend to get stepped on or at least passed over. There was one commentator I was reading this week that said, it's the tough, the overbearing who seem to, to succeed in the struggle for existence. And in today's world, weaklings go to the wall. And the thought of being described as gentle, as meek, isn't too appealing. But then Jesus comes along in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, and these are his words. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. Remember how last week I said that the Beatitudes so often seem to be illogical, seem to be backwards? This is, this is a perfect example. Blessed are not the strong, not the, not the, uh, the ones who um, seem to have a lot of skills, uh, not the ones who seem to be successful, but the meek. You know, today it seems the ones that win big are the ones who, uh, um, the ones that get the best jobs, the ones who seem to make the most, most money are the ones who are strong, the ones who are bold, the ones who take the bull by the horn, so to speak. And even sometimes those who are willing to step on others to get there. But Jesus instead flips the script and says, the blessed ones are the ones who are meek. Those are the ones that I approve of. In fact, they'll inherit the earth. I once heard of a man who was founding a group, like a little club of people that were like him, that were meek people, and he decided to call that group the doormats. It stood for the dependent organization of really meek and timid souls, if there are no objections. And their motto was, the meek shall inherit the earth, if that's okay with everyone else. And maybe that's what we think of when we hear the word meek. We, we think of, we think of t being timid, being scared, but is that what the Bible is speaking of here? I can tell you what the Bible is not saying here. This is what meekness does not mean. It does not mean cowardice. 
It does not mean to be spineless. It does not mean to be timid, indecisive, to have a lack of confidence, to be shy. It does not mean just people who are extremely introverted or people who are super nice. It does not mean a willingness to make peace at whatever the cost. If we were to go back to the Greek, what we would find is that word meek means humble. It means gentle. It means courteous. It means self-controlled. It means considerate. And at Jesus' time, the time, that time in history, that word, that Greek word for meek was often used to describe trained, domesticated animals. And I think it's actually a pretty good illustration. I mean, let's just think, for instance, take a horse, for instance. A horse is an extremely powerful animal, right? You think about the, 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 the speed with which they can run, how they can jump, how they can pull things. I mean, it's just raw power, is it not? Some of you have horses. You know what I'm talking about, these big, massive animals that have so much strength. Now, you take that strong, raw power of a horse and you put him in the, in the hands of a good trainer, and that horse can do even greater things, right? When taught and when trained and when under the control of that master, that horse can do great things. Now, in the Greek, they would have called that horse meek. Not meek because he was weak or wimpy, but because he was strength under control. The control of his master. I once heard Adrian Rogers describe it like this. He said, meekness is not weakness. It is strength under control. And I think that is a beautiful way to put it, a perfect way to put it. Meekness is not weakness, it is strength under control. And so biblical meekness for the Christian begins, or it is strength under control, specifically under the control of our master, our God in heaven. So first of all, meekness begins with our trust in God. Our trust in God. Take this verse, for instance. Psalm chapter 20, verse 7 says this. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We live in a day and age, like I've said, where we put our trust in our abilities, in our skills, in our money, in our drive, in our savviness, yet meekness, strength under control for the Christian begins... Not with our abilities, but with our trust in God's will and our trust in God's ability to work things out for his children. Just consider Psalm chapter 37 for a moment. If you've got a Bible, turn there. I think it may also be on the screen. But let's just go to Psalm chapter 37. I want us to read part of a psalm that was written by David because I think it teaches us some valuable lessons on Meekness. It is going to be on the screen. So it says in verse 1, it says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your, your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. 
Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be here. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Now, we could go on through that chapter and continue to see that idea over and over again. But let me just summarize what David's saying. He's saying, don't watch those around you. Don't concern yourselves with the way of those who seem to be succeeding according to the world's ways. Instead, trust the Lord. Trust His goodness. Live in righteousness. Live with gentleness and meekness. And the Lord will work things out. He will right the wrongs. He will set the record straight. It goes on in verse 16. Look down to verse 16. It says, Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. One pastor by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones had this to say. He said, A man who is truly meek is a man who is always satisfied. He is a man who is already content. He went on to say, The meek are those who leave everything, ourselves, our rights, our cause, our whole future in the hands of of God, and especially so if we feel we are suffering unjustly. Now, you can probably guess that the best biblical example, the best example in all of history that we have of meekness is who? Jesus. Jesus. You know, I heard of him one time, I think it's a little children's hymn um, years ago, called Gentle Jesus, Meek and Mild. Anybody familiar with that one? You heard that one before? This is what it says. It says, Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon a little child. Pity my simplicity. Suffer me to come to thee. Lamb of God, I look to thee. Thou shalt my example be. Thou art gentle, meek, and mild. Thou was once a little child. Fain I would be as thou art. Give me thine obedient heart. Thou art pitiful and kind. Let me have thy loving mind. Now, let me tell you, while that hymn is right in a sense, I think it paints an incomplete picture of Christ's meekness. It might, if you were an outsider and not really familiar with Scripture, might kind of paint Jesus as kind of looking like a pansy, kind of like a wussy. Little Jesus, meek and mild. Maybe a little bit effeminate. But you know, I mean, when, you, when you think about these ideas of Jesus as the lamb and this gentle little sweet lamb, but you know, the Bible does teach that Jesus is the lamb but it also calls him the Lion of Judah. And the truth is, is that while Jesus could act as gentle as a lamb, he also knew when it was right to be a lion. He also knew when it was right to stand up and defend. He also knew when it was right to, to, to raise his voice. When we think about Scripture and we think about the moments in the Word of God where meek and mild Jesus decided to assert some strength, it mainly was in two different types of situations. Number one, to protect others in the defense of others. And number two, in the defense of truth, in the defense of righteousness. Think, for instance, about the many times that Jesus got up all in the business of the Pharisees, right? He would call them some not nice things, correct? He, he would begin to, to, to reprimand them and to scold them. Now, why did he do that? Because they were misleading the people. He wanted to defend the people because they were taking the Jewish people down the wrong path. 
And then I think of other instances in, in the Gospels where Jesus, you remember those times where he went into the temple with that whip and he started flipping tables and driving people out because he was running out the money changers because they had turned the house of prayer into a house of profit? Why was he doing that? In defense of truth, in defense of righteousness. He was defending God's house. But yet Jesus has this to say about himself in Matthew, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, or meek in the King James, and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now let me tell you, there is no contradiction in the meekness of Jesus. To be meek is to demonstrate great strength when it is called for and to refrain from anger and aggression when it's not. That's meekness. It's not to always be passive, but it's to know when is the time to speak up and when is the time to sit back. Jesus asserted himself and he spoke up with boldness in defense of others and in defense of truth. Yet, when he was persecuted and mocked and beaten and eventually crucified, he didn't lift a finger. Instead, he trusted God to settle the score. Think about what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 23, he said, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to God's will. Strength under control. Now, as we study through Scripture, I, I think the most basic way in which we can put meekness on display is this, to be angry at the right times and to withhold anger at the wrong times. Meekness, I believe, is demonstrated by how I react to others when I'm treated unfairly, when I'm cheated, when I've, someone gossips about me, when I'm slandered, when I'm defamed, um, in those situations where we seem to be taken advantage of, we put our meekness on display when instead of reacting in defense, we trust the Lord in His way. And so meekness calls us not to return evil with evil, but to return evil with good. But I would also say this, meekness is as much a matter of our inner spirit as it is our outward action. I mean, think about this. Is it possible for us to convince ourselves to put on a show of outward meekness but yet not have a meek heart? Yes, absolutely. We can make ourselves look gentle and look, look like we're okay with things, but inside be boiling with anger and frustration. We can put a show on the outside of making it look like we're trusting God to right the wrong, but yet not really be trusting God on the inside and be plotting our revenge. I mean, take, for instance, take, um, take this right here, this dollar bill. What does this dollar bill say on it right there? 
You can't see this, but you know what dollar bills say on them. In God we trust, but do we always? We say it. It's on our money. But how often do we trust more in this dollar bill than we do the God who provided it for us? How often do we trust in our own ability to right our own wrongs than in the God who can right the wrong? Let me tell you a little story um, that happened to me about a month ago. And I really didn't want to tell the story, but I feel like it's a good place for it. Uh, so it was a few weeks ago. Uh, we took the youth to a Redbirds game. And uh, some of the parents are smiling because they know exactly what the story is. And so we drive up. I drove the bus for them because they needed a bus driver. So we pull up to this parking lot where I've parked many, many, many times. Every time I go to a Redbirds game, I park at the same place. Pull in with the bus. And a guy gets out, comes up to our bus, just like I've had happen many times. And he says, he's got tickets in his hand. And he says, hey, how many tickets do you need for your vehicles? I said, well, we got four. Hand him some money, hands me a ticket. I walk off thinking, okay, we're going to game. Didn't think anything about it. We went to leave. Someone calls and says, there's boots on all the vehicles. Not like shoes, like you wear, but like the shoes, like to keep you from driving away. And I thought, oh, my goodness. I got scammed. This guy was posing to be a parking lot attendant, probably a homeless guy, stole our money, cost us a lot more money because then we had to pay the towing company because they had no mercy whatsoever. Now, I was mad. I was mad, mad, mad. And the people I was with, all the, all the adults were fuming mad because they thought, here is this guy that's just taking advantage of a church and he took our money and all this stuff and we're all thinking, man, I just wish I could find that guy and... Let's just rub him up, you know? Let's just take care of him. Not that I could really do anything, you know? And it's like I got the muscle mass of a seventh grade girl. I mean, I ain't going to be able to beat nobody up, uh, you know? And so, and so I kept thinking, him. I went home, and I didn't sleep at all that night. I stayed awake in bed just thinking, man, I cannot believe this. This guy just, what did he think he's doing? And then God really kind of laid my heart open. And uh, this is the thought he put on my mind. That guy was obviously homeless, roaming around. And all I could think of was this. Um, we go once a quarter down to Calvary Rescue Mission to feed the homeless. And there's a part of me that thought, man, I hope I run into that guy somewhere so I can gotta try to get my money back. <laughs> but then this is what the Lord told me. He said, man, wouldn't it be good, Jeff, if you ran into that guy at Calvary? Not so you can try to remind him of the wrong he did, did to you, but so you can share the gospel with him. And I do pray that one day I'm sitting next to that guy in a pew. Not so I can say, remember me and how you scammed me, but I can say, let me tell you about my Savior. Because he's the one that writes the wrongs. And you know, the truth is, is that when we take matters into our own hands, we often wind up getting less than what God desires to give us. I heard a saying one time from a missionary that God always gives what's best to those who leave the choice to him. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You know, I think it's true even, you know, we see that even in, in today. Like sometimes I'll take my kids to the store or something. I'll say, I'm going to buy you something. And, uh, and I'll just, I'll say, hey, let me pick it out. And they're like, no, 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 dad, I want this. And inevitably they always pick out something that wasn't as good as what I had intended on buying them. But instead, they took matters into their own hands. 
And it's so true that if we will allow God to make the choice for us, He'll pick something so much greater than what we would choose ourselves. Let's think about what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. I think this is a, a beautiful picture of meekness on display. Romans chapter 12. I know that text is kind of small. Hopefully you can read it. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, and this is the fun part, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Those are powerful, life-changing words. I mean, what if we did leave it in God's hands more often than taking it into our own hands? What if we did seek to bless more than we sought revenge? More than we sought to settle the score? What if we did worry less about getting our fair share and more about just trusting God's goodness? That's meekness. Remember that Paul in this day and age is writing to a period in which the church was being genuinely persecuted. These people were having their, their property confiscated. They were being cast out of society. The Jewish Christians were cast out of Israelite society. They were no longer being allowed back into the synagogues. They were thrown out of their culture, so to speak. The Gentile Christians, suddenly the, the Romans didn't know what to do with them because they would not bow to Caesar. And so they're going through persecution. And so these are not just empty words. Paul is not writing this to people who are sitting pretty. These are people whose lives are at risk. It was dangerous for them to live faithfully. But yet he said, repay no one evil for evil, but repay them evil with good. Because trust the Lord and allow the Lord to bring about the vengeance and the revenge. He said, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Those are radical words. Because meekness is a radical lifestyle. So how do we grow in meekness? I can tell you where it begins. The same place that it always begins with Beatitudes, it begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. You cannot do what this verse is commanding you to do without a heart that has been transformed by Jesus. You can't do it. You can try to put on the show, but your heart, you will, you, sinful you, will not be able to do it. Only through the grace and mercy of Christ will you be able to live a life that is truly, genuinely meek. And when you have that saving relationship and you are walking with the Spirit in prayer and in studying the Word of God and in the fellowship of the church and in doing God's will, the Spirit will bring that to fruit in your life. It's exactly what it says in Galatians chapter 5. Fruit of the Spirit. You remember this passage, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, do you see the word meek up there? No. But yet, it's all of that. 
Is it not? That describes a lifestyle of meekness, to have joy in your situation regardless of what others do, to have peace despite what happens because God is in control. Patience, kind of, you could go through that whole list. This is, this is meekness on display, and how do you get there? It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God working through you. And it's the exact opposite of what Paul describes just before this as the works of the flesh. I think that verse is in there, verse, verse 19. It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity. Now here comes the non-meekness part. Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. And we could go on and on. That's the exact opposite, right? And so when we're not walking in meekness, we are walking in the flesh. But when we do like verse 16 says, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, we'll begin to see meekness come forth in our life. I, heard a, I read something on the news this past week I thought was kind of interesting. Um, up in the Southington Township of Ohio, there's this giant 25,000-square-foot mansion. That mansion, the only reason we even know it is because it was once the property of Mike Tyson. Y'all remember Mike Tyson? Heavyweight champion of the world. I used to watch him as a kid. That man could fight, could he not? He went undefeated for the longest time. He used to beat me on Mike Tyson's Punch-Out on Nintendo, too. Never could seem to win. He was a, the man just had so much strength. I mean, he just had so much power. He could just knock people out in 30 seconds, it seemed like. But he was also a man out of control, was he not? It was said that this mansion that he had once was the home to these massive parties, these wild, crazy parties. But you know what's happening to that house today? It's being renovated to be a church. That was kind of neat. Someone bought it after him, then someone else bought it, and then eventually it was donated to a church to be renovated to be the home, the, the, the building, the sanctuary for that church. And so this house that once was a, the home of an out-of-control man who partied like crazy now is a place where the meek gather to worship. And I thought that is a beautiful picture of the transformation that takes place in this house. That there's once a time in our lives when we're going down a path of selfishness, of greed. I want to control my life. I want to do my thing. But the power of Christ transforms that, and suddenly our house becomes full, slowly over time, with humility and peace and true biblical strength. And the more and more we turn our lives over to Jesus each day, walking with the Spirit, our hearts, which were once bent on selfishness, slowly become storehouses of meekness. Now, what's the reward of all this? In verse 5, what did Jesus say? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And so Jesus is saying, look, trust me and my will in this short time of your life, and you're going to inherit the earth for all eternity. Endure for this short time and celebrate for eternity. Let, let me close with this illustration that I, uh, I borrowed from somebody else. I didn't come up with this. Let's just imagine that this rope 
that this little piece of rope right here represents your life. Just the red part. Birth, death. Now think for a moment, where are you on this rope? Some of you are young. You're kind of in here somewhere. Some of you might be a little bit farther this way. I'm somewhere probably, I'm 30, I'll be 38 this year, so I'm probably smack dab in the middle somewhere. That's kind of a sobering thought, right? And so when you think about this, this is life today. This is eternity right here. And this isn't even to scale, right? I mean, we're talking about the fact that we live on this earth for 70, 80, 90 years, and that's it. That's all. And then God rewards us who are his faithful with all this and on and on and on and on and on. It goes. And the Lord Jesus tells us, look, trust me during this short window. Just follow my will during this short window. Just, just believe that I have your interest at heart and I'm going to take care of you, and then I'm going to reward you with all this, and you're going to inherit the earth, and it's going to go on and on and on and on and on. But we say, we say, no, Lord, I got I to gotta think about me and mine. I got to do what's best for me. I got to put my needs first, my interests first. I got to make sure I get my fair share. Isn't that ridiculous? Considering all that we've been promised, considering all, all that we will celebrate with the Lord, trust the Lord. Even if it costs you, even if it doesn't make sense, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Would you pray with me? Father God, it is not easy to be meek. We seem to be trained from day one to think about ourselves and our own needs. To put our, ourselves first. And Father, you've called us to put others first. To not worry about ourselves. And to know that you will take care of it. Trust the Lord and do good, and your righteousness will cover us. So, Father, we come here today as the church, as the body who one day will inherit the earth. And we pray that you would teach us to walk in faithfulness today, that we wouldn't worry about our, our current circumstances nearly as much as we think about our future celebration with you for eternity. God, if we would catch that mindset, I believe, I do believe it would change everything. Father, I pray for those in this room who need to make any decisions today. Father, if there be those today who do not know, know you as their Lord and Savior, who have never received Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that he offers, I pray that today would be that day. That they would see that you have promised that if they would just give their heart and life to you for this short life, that they'll have all eternity in your presence, feeling your blessing. God, I pray that today would be that day of salvation, transformation. And Father, I pray for the Christians in the room today. God, if there be believers who need to come and join our church today, who say, this is the church I want to be a part of, 
I pray that you would give them the confidence to step out and to come here and join this church. And God, if there be Christians who need to rededicate their lives, if there's some sin they need to confess and feel the need to come up and pray with someone about it, if there's some decision they need to make, I pray that they would have the confidence to do so. And it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?